Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Post-Progressive Inquiries, where I, Jeff Salzman of The Daily Evolver, and my co-host, Steve McIntosh of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, talk to interesting people about what's next in the evolution of consciousness and culture. And I'm very eager to talk to our guests today, Gary Sheng and Zoe Jenkins. And good morning, Steve. Why don't you introduce our guests? Good morning, Jeff. Happy to do so. Okay, Gary Sheng, a young superstar. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer of Civics Unplugged which is a Manhattan-based nonprofit organization that helps channel Generation Z, it helps channel their passion, creativity, and idealism toward reforming and rebuilding American democracy. Uh, Gary's a former Google engineer and an enthusiastic student of integral philosophy, as well as a personal friend of mine. He was recently recognized as one of Forbes Magazine's 30 Under 30 list as a promising young social entrepreneur. So welcome, Gary. Uh, Zoe Jenkins, who's worked closely with Gary, uh, is a 17-year-old education, equity, and justice advocate, Lexington, Kentucky. She's the founder and executive producer of the Get Schooled podcast and and an inaugural fellow at Civics Unplugged, which I'm sure Gary and Zoe can tell us about. But just to orient our listeners to uh, the nature of this podcast, Gary, let me start by asking you um, how you came to be interested in uh, what we can call integral philosophy. Kind of tell me the story there, if you would. For sure. Um, so I like to joke that because I didn't get a formal civic education or philosophical education, that Twitter, unfortunately, was my civic and philosophical education. I realize now that the way that when that happens, it's like you're choosing from a menu of kind of dogmatic worldviews. And I got sucked into most, and most aligns with just like a well, dogmatic progressive worldview. Uh, and that, and that, I felt kind of trapped in that for um, at least a year. And th- this is all while I was trying to figure out like how to become more civically engaged. Uh, I, f- I found that kind of worldview very compelling. Um, but over time I, I realized it was, um, it, it was it was limiting and it was not taking seriously um, the insights from different perspectives, not integrating them, uh, you might say. And I was lucky to, when I was doing research and trying to find, I guess, more ho- ho- like holistic and contextual sort of pr- perspectives on how the world works and also what how it can be made better. Uh, I was lucky to have stumbled a- across uh, Steve McIntosh's work, right? Thank you, Steve, uh, with the with ICE. And I just found I just found his writing extremely compelling, and I, I guess I, what I wondered was like, why is this not everywhere? Why why is this not um, the default of civic and philosophical education? Um, and you know, there's a whole process that that kind of led me to helping co-found Civics Unplugged uh, in 2019. Um, but a big part of that was realizing that uh, this like the, the, the sort of sort of obvious thing that your listeners know that kind of weaving together, uh, you know, this is an oversimplification, the best of different worldviews, what is valid and, 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 and constructive of different worldviews is something that any aspiring civic leader 
should try to should try to do. That yeah, is. right on. Yeah, and I I too wonder why it isn't everywhere and why it isn't the vanguard of thinking. It seems obvious to me. But um, Zoe, let me ask you: how, how, Are you into this integral theory stuff? Are you into the evolution stuff, or where where are you coming from? Um, I'll say that, like Gary, my education system never even like touched on anything related to it. But Gary has definitely kind of been feeding a lot of us in the C community, like, oh, check out this podcast, check out this article, check out this book. So we've gotten, I think, a little bit of exposure. And I think, like what Gary said, it's just so important. I think when you're trying to like tackle hit big issues like rebuilding a democracy, um, you understand like where different people are coming from and how to incorporate that in a really meaningful way. So yes, we've all been exposed in various ways um, to integral theory and lots of other philosophical ideas that the school system never exposed us to. Oh, I can't tell you how exciting that is to hear. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so Gary, maybe you could just let me know, how, how are you doing it? What, what are you saying? What are the tools? What are the principles? How, how are you finding that they're landing? How's it going? Yeah, so um, a big part of what we do in our flagship sort of civic leadership program called the Civics Unplugged Fellowship is emphasize personal development. Uh, and a big part of personal development is learning how to think better. And a, bit, a big part of that is understanding your mental models, your worldviews. So we really try to uh, first make people aware that when you are, when it kind of, uh, when I say the word Twitter, right, you're going to have certain like, caricatures of what that means, or I say Donald Trump, or I say uh, family, right? You're gonna have certain kind of caricatures of, of what that word means. We have exercises where kids compare the differences in their mental models, and they talk about, okay, how did those mental models arise? Um, and then, so you start to have an appreciation for that these are not just something you can take for granted, right? These are, these are things that are, you have been influenced to uh, adopt over time, Right, and they profoundly shape your your civic actions, right, and, and and your your identity. Your a lot of it is like you you subconsciously buy into, right. And so so a big emphasis that we we place is that young people should have the agency to figure out, sort out what they actually believe, um, so that they are not, to put it bluntly, like weapons of a, a some sort of political machine. Yeah. Um, and one thing that we do all the time now, and this is an experiment that we started a few months ago, is we have uh, group dialogues on, on, on issues. Um, so yesterday we had a, a dialogue on the topic was learning. And, and then what we do is we gather, well, naturally, because our community is so geographically diverse. So we actually span almost every state. Uh, and we, we uh, for our latest program, we had applications from 47 countries. So you think about the, the kind of intellectual diversity that is only gonna increase in our community over time. And just by virtue of having them talk about certain topics like, like learning, like a freedom of speech, you get to see how uh, different people think about different things and that uh, they're not crazy for, for thinking about things in the way that they do. Um, and so oftentimes we don't have to say the words integral thinking to have been, been cultivating integral thinkers, because there's processes that naturally uh, develop these sort of uh, capacities. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, 
two big categories of integral people. One of the people who know the models and all of the background and all of that good stuff. And the other are people who just are naturally flexible of mind, are able to observe their own mind. And when you talk about what you're doing, Gary, it's basically what, you know, people are able to see instead of just be their thoughts, you know. And that itself is a huge stage of development. Uh, so there are people who naturally can do it and they have integral functioning, but they've never heard of integral theory. Yeah, I would say Zoe is, you know, one of the best people that we can talk to that fits in that category. Like, it was so clear to me that like, uh, well, so uh, you can speak more to this, Zoe, obviously better than I can, right? But it's so, it's so obvious to me why she is, um, well, she's like, she's the, the chair of our community. Like she's the chair <laughs> of the steering committee, our, the elected community elected basically board of our community. And that's because she's able to, to sit in other people's perspectives super naturally, right? But, but even she could benefit, right, from, from being more um, kind of deliberate about understanding what's happening automatically, because then it can, it can become even more of a superpower. Yeah. Well, and I'd love to hear from you, Zoe. Um, you know, how, what's your work? How, how would you describe what it is you're doing? So at, at Civics Unplugged, like what Gary said, I'm the chair of the Civics 20 steering committee. So that's a group of five kids who are all elected to help kind of manage like how we fund different projects that are being led by other young people in our community. Um, and that, and that works. It's, it's really kind of broadened away from that mission. So we do a lot of things like governance in our community, trying to figure out like, you know, instituting very intentional processes so that you know, future steering committees can kind of maintain the culture that we've been able to create. Um, I know one thing that some builders were kind of shocked by when we introduced um, the policy was that we create our own impeachment policy because we were like, someone's going to have to be able to impeach us one day. Um, and we need to really like <laughs> write that in and, you know, make it very much that like we as a steering committee don't have a lot of power in that process. That's really, you know, giving it back to the community to help us through that process. And so, um, yeah, I think that we're setting a really important precedent, I think, with some of our decisions in our leadership this year that will hopefully help to shape what future steering committees are able to do for the, I guess, years to come after us. Yeah. Steve, so, I don't, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I have a, a question really for both of you. Um, but let's start with you, Zoe. When I think about civics, right, I mean, I, I personally think civic virtue and, and the, the civic uh, both pride and shame we can have in the United States um, and learning about the constitutional order and its history and also learning how uh, uh, we can be activists, you know, to continuously improve the system. And sometimes I see those at odds a little bit because of the, the misunderstood polarity of, of pride and shame itself. In other words, uh, you know, pride can create value, shame can create value. Taken to the extreme, they can become pathological, but when they, they're in a relationship of challenge and support, then they can maximize uh, each other's value-creating capacity. And I, I guess from that perspective, in your work in, in civics, um, how do you navigate pride and shame in, in terms of America? Yeah, that's actually a conversation that I had with my family um, around July 4th, because we there's some like podcasts there, like how patriotic would you say you are? And so my mom like paused the radio and she's like, how patriotic are all of you? And I don't think I had realized how differently each of the people in my family kind of interpreted what it meant to be patriotic. Um, like, I think I was like, oh, 
on a scale of one to 10, I'm probably like a nine out of 10. While my dad was like, well, I'm probably more of like a five out of 10. And my mom was somewhere in the middle. And I think, um, Steve, what you said was perfect that there's this, I guess, misunderstood kind of like, like we put them at opposites of being prideful of your country, being shameful of your country. And a recent conversation we've been having, especially around like Martin Luther King Jr.'s beloved community is that love is not, um, it's not just purely like a positive thing, you know, like in the way that a parent loves a child when they're, when your child messes up, that love expects better and that love expects progress, but it's also, you know, like you, you would hug your child and you play games with your child and you're so happy about them as well. So that's kind of what we've turned to, I guess, instead of saying pride versus shame is that love encompasses both of those things. And it's optimistic and it's expecting better, but it's also very appreciative of everything that, you know, our country has been able to create, even amidst all of the terrible things it also has managed to create as well. Yeah, right on. Beautiful. Do you have anything to add to that, Gary? It's, it's hard to top that. So I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, maybe you could talk about the, you know, the, the transcendent, you know, purposes or, or, or feelings of uh, engagement that you get for working on this subject of civics. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think. Uh, so I, I've always sort of been a personal development uh, buff uh, or for at least a while uh, now. And there, there's no feeling like it of, of actually feeling like you're, you're contributing not just to your personal flourishing, but the flourishing of other people and especially other people that are committed to the flourishing of other people. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I know there's, there's tons of research or at least certainly, you know, thousands of years of, of wisdom about how, um, contributing to a higher uh, good um, is is deeply uh, personally satisfying, um, and part of how you do that is to to you know, in my opinion, to be an integral thinker that recognizes that um, if we just succumb to our lower levels of consciousness and and kind of demonize other people and not trying to really understand where they're coming from. Uh, that we're not going to coexist. And in, in this age of um, exponentially increasing in terms of power of our technology, uh, including the power to destroy, uh, if we don't get our consciousness in check um, and create a higher collective consciousness, um, we, we're not going to head up to the right path. So the work that we're doing at Civics Unplugged, um, who knows if it's uh, sufficient uh, but it's definitely necessary, which fills me with all sorts of energy every day. Well, so if, Civics Unplugged, would you describe it as a uh, deliberately developmental organization? In other words, uh, you're trying to develop the people who are going through the program as well as the staff and, and leaders of the organization? Oh, absolutely. And I'd love to hear uh, from, from from Zoe about this and, and how Civics Unplugged may, may or may not have uh, you know, contributed to her growth and what growth that she's seen. But I've just seen, uh, well, this was actually not intentional uh, in, in our naming, but um, the kids have started to use the word unplug, uh, like casually to talk about like unplugging from habits, including thinking habits um, and just habits in terms of like um, diet and exercise and uh, 
journaling and like meditation um, or just the, the lack of doing those things. So plug in, like unplugging from things that are kind of facilitating your downgrade and plugging into things that are um, helping you level up. Um, so it's, it's super commonplace for me to get messages that the work that we're doing um, from kids has like changed their lives. Great. Well, that, that leads right into my next question for Zoe, which is you were, you, you, you became part of the program at Civics Unplugged. And um, I'm curious to hear how you think it, it, it helped in your own development. Yeah. Um, I think it's transformational does not encompass it in the right way. Um, but I had been, you know, involved in a lot of kind of like education work here in Kentucky um, where it was great. Like we were talking to kids, helping kids kind of figure out how do we, you know, improve student voice. And uh, the story I always tell is I was like, well, I was like, I feel like I'd want to do something that's civics related. So let's try out this fellowship because I was like, we can just kind of dip our toe in the water, see if we like this whole civics thing. What I quickly realized is that education and civics are hopelessly intertwined. You can't really have like one without the other and that the education system is civic advocacy, like being involved in that is a part of kind of civics as a whole. And so for me, that was a big realization of how many different systems are so interconnected. And that's another big thing that we teach is systems thinking of how so many things um, are intertwined in that when you kind of can get that kind of zoomed out perspective, there's so much more like meaningful change that you can enact because you're physically changing the system itself, not just addressing the symptoms of, you know, what different, what different education systems, healthcare systems have been causing. Um, and then, yeah, I think the personal development aspect was huge. This idea that um, like your opinions and the things that you believe come from, you know, how you were raised, who was around you when you were growing up, you know, were you able to travel? Where, where did you grow up in the country or around the world? Um, and so I think, actually dissecting that because that's something that we had to do um, through numerous exercises is actually like write down and reflect like where are your miracle moments when did your whole you know paradigm shift on different things in your life and then you realize wow you know all the things I believe come from these you know experiences that I've had and that, that that's also true for other people that when other people believe things you're like how on earth could you believe that there's a lived experience that causes people to come to those conclusions which doesn't necessarily mean that the surface level opinion itself is valid or anything like that. But there's a reason why somebody came to that conclusion and that reasoning is totally valid in and of itself. And that once you can, you know, talk to that person on a much deeper level that you can really get so much farther in helping people realize, you know, their full, their fullest potential, help them become more optimistic about, you know, the world itself, because there's a reason that people kind of fall into these like typical pitfalls, like what, Gary was talking about, about becoming extremely dogmatic and that we can remedy that by going a little bit below the surface. Wow. Fantastic. So Zoe, so I see that in your bio that your, your training focuses on diversity, inclusion, anti-racism and equity for Generation Z. And so there's a lot of people afraid of that on the other side of the street with conservative thought, traditional thought. Uh, how do you navigate that? And how do you see your generation navigating that these days? Because you're the vanguard, you know. We largely approach, I think, diversity, equity, inclusion in a kind of a different way. I think a lot of people don't understand what race in and of itself is. And once people understand, like, how did we even come to this concept of race? 
you know, realizing that we can't actually biologically define the differences between people of different races. I think that people start to realize how, you know, like flawed our systems are because when people realize, wow, like we really, there isn't really a distinct difference between, you know, people who are white, people who are black, people who are Asian, yet we have created these, you know, structures that punish people for things that they can't control. Um, then I think you can really start to kind of open up the conversation. And more importantly, I think people just need a safe space to talk about it and be vulnerable. So that's another huge emphasis is creating that safe space, doing a lot of things in small groups. Because uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of us right now, I think there's a lot of calling people out and canceling people because they said something wrong. But once people can understand, you know, I guess the things that our school system simply doesn't teach us about the history of race and how it's so intertwined and so many things in our history, then people realize, wow, you know, you know, systemic racism, racism is a real thing because I can see how, you know, we can plot through history, how things have changed for reasons that don't really make a whole lot of sense, but then you can draw it back to like, it's the systemic racism we've been seeing um, all along. And I think, I think my generation is uniquely posed, I think, to tackle this um, in one part because Gen Z is set to be the most diverse generation ever. So it's even more imperative that you know how to be culturally competent and sensitive to people around you who aren't like you. Um, but also that a lot of us are growing up with, you know, just so, just so many kind of catastrophic events and sequences of events that seem normal, but we know shouldn't be normal. Because uh, there are a lot of people, you know, who grew up, you know, in the midst of last summer where we were like, wow, you know, like, while everyone else was coming to this awakening, that's what we are growing up with. And so I think we're uniquely positioned to start tackling that because we have so much at stake um, for our future as a generation because we have so much ahead of us. Great. Well, I have a kind of a related question. Let me start with you, Gary, on that one. Um, I know that in the nonprofit world that the Institute for Cultural Evolution operates in, and I'm, I'm sure Civics Unplugged as well, uh, there, there's a, um, a, a pretty large consensus around the progress, what we call the progressive postmodern worldview, right? The green worldview, which uh, has many important dignities and and a, a form of cultural awareness that uh, I know Jeff and I both resonate with a lot. But we also can see it from the outside and can see its downsides. Navigating the 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 difference between progressivism, as it's you know when when someone's fully drunk the Kool Aid. Um, you know, and then there's plenty of voices in the culture that have arisen, especially recently, staking out a kind of anti-progressive position, you know, talking about progressivism as though, you know, it's simply a, a negative thing, wherein in some ways it's the most evolved form of culture that's yet to appear on the timeline of human history, right? So, so what we're trying to do is move beyond, transcend and include, not be anti-progressive, but not be simply captured by it either, Gary, maybe you could speak to a little bit of how you navigate in your organizational world the difference between um, hardcore progressivism and something that's a little bit uh, uh, more inclusive. It's a great question. I'm not sure we've fully figured it out, but um, let me take a, a bite at this question uh, at one angle. Um, one thing that we recognize, progressive worldview or other worldviews, is that a lot of it is about like opinions about things and like just sweeping statements versus actually um, 
solving kind of lived reality issues. Um, so I think like it's almost so obvious for me to say that you can re you can recognize that there um, let's say in your state that there are major injustices uh, that are being perpetrated by um, the criminal legal system, um, but not just but not just stop there. Actually, try to figure out exactly what's happening and and come up with interventions that actually comport with like human nature and the way that our social and political systems actually work. Um, so in other words, we are really, we really emphasize that our community members, which we actually call builders are actually building solutions and not just talking about like trying to fight over things that are just unresolvable. Like, like such, such as questions like is America, um, just a racist country that is irredeemable, right? That's that that's basically a lot of like the most pathological parts of like what, what you call the progressive postmodern worldview. It's like, it's stuck there. And it's like, okay, so what, right? Okay. So, 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 so what should we do? Nothing. Should we, should, should we just accept that America is, is forever irredeemable? Or do we say like, okay, here's a vision for what we want our society to look like our states to look, our cities to look like, um, and, and work together, uh, because different people, can point out different issues and aspects of a system, right? And working together allows us to see the full picture and, and make, make interventions that um, have the highest likelihood of leading to flourishing. Um, so that, that, that's, that's, hope, hope that's helpful. Yeah, do you have any perhaps anecdotes about how you may have uh, navigated a difficult culture war situation? I know that th there was there was like is issues of people like you know during the Democratic primaries of like some people defending Biden, some people defending um, you know, Bernie, and I, I think again in these instances it's important to to just kind of have everyone acknowledge that it's actually just not that helpful uh, to to have unresolvable state to try to like argue for un unresolvable statements like is Bernie a good person or Biden a good person or who's like better than the other it's like, okay like what what are we solving for what, what are the constraints right okay who, who can who can get elected and what are the like assumptions that people are making about all these arguments like almost like I guess one way to look at it is it um, when there are disagreements that seem like that are actually unresolvable. How do you break this apart into a problem where people can actually have a constructive uh, dialogue about it uh, and, and actually surface uh, the kind of premises that people are operating under? Yeah, great. I yeah. think that's brilliant. Yeah, Steve, were you going to follow up? Sorry. Well, I was just going to ask Zoe if she has. Are there any anecdotes that come to mind, or you know, examples of, that make it concrete about how you've used this uh, higher perspective that Civics Unplugged has helped you? you know, achieve to navigate culture war challenges. I think what, what Gary was talking about with the Democratic primaries, I think sparked a lot of stuff because that was kind of an ongoing debate, um, especially with people around me, where there were a lot of people that were like, you can't support anybody else because Biden's the only one who can win. And so well, a lot of people were like, well, I like a lot of people felt that other candidates were going to better service them, that they were way more progressive, that they were going to affect more change. You were dreaming much bigger. And they were like, we can't settle. While a lot of people were like, well, you know, this is how the political system works. You just have to settle. And so it was this kind of this complex argument because 
Um, I know a lot of people who are maybe on the way more progressive side felt like they were being told by people in a higher place of privilege to just like just settle and take it for four years and you can advocate for your super progressive person later. While people on the other side were like, you know, you're intentionally creating this divide that's not going to help, you know, either of our candidates win. Um, valid points on both sides. However, you know, not a lot of taking into consideration what lived experiences, I guess, were feeding into that. You know, there were a lot of people who felt like they had a lot at stake in this election. There's some people who didn't feel that way, but there are a lot of people who felt for various reasons that, you know, the next four years, whoever was in that office was going to radically change the trajectory of their lives and the lives of their families and their friends. Um, and so I think once you can kind of get to that higher place, that's when people actually start asking, well, so maybe only this candidate might be able to win, but how do we make sure that like we can get some of these things done, even though we won't have your person necessarily in office? And I think once people started like redirecting of like, what kind of goals can we set? What kind of expectations can we set for, for whoever to make sure that we get that progress? Because it's not just about the person, it's about what they do. And so how can you make sure that you know, we can all rally behind the same policies. We just may not be able to rally behind the same candidate. Um, and so I think we, I know for our builders, that was a kind of a frantic debate, but as people kind of started moving in that direction, I think the conversations got way more productive of like, how do we make sure that whoever, whoever sits in the Oval Office is doing something that's benefiting everybody? Yeah, wow. Yeah, you know, we, we often say that the move into integral thinking or the move into second tier thinking is um, uh, it, it's, it's not what you think as much as how you think. And, uh, and that's what you're talking about. I'm really impressed and, and really feel like I'm getting a deeper transmission of this thing where um, when you find yourself in ideological battles, first of all, you notice it. And then you say, we can work at another level. Let's table that and work at a level of solving problems and what we all want. And, um, and that's just a new sort of way of thinking, uh, particularly collectively with other people. And I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm quite inspired to, to listen to you too, because you're very fluid in it. And, and I feel like I'm just sort of getting there at 66. So, um, <laughs> so are you finding, and I uh, put this question to both of you, that, there, that your people have ears to hear this? Are people really um, getting it? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'd, I'd be interested in, in understanding the scope of what you're doing, like how many students are involved and how is, you know, how, what's the, the impact here? Yeah. Um... So I wanted to, to call out that, well, thank you for calling out the process, right? Because we're actually um, something that we haven't like said much about, we haven't published because uh, we're still incubating it is this idea of the un unplugged school of process uh, because we realized there's, there's a lot of schools of thought, but like thoughts are often like, at least the mental model is often of like having a belief about something like capitalism is good, okay. So why don't we have a process when we're thinking about words like capitalism? What do we mean by that? What, what, what triggers um, people about this word? Why do people love it? Um, how do people talk about it, right? So even going through a process of talking about words is part of our, our school of process. Um, the process of 
figuring out your U-shaped hole in the world um, is, is a huge part of um, the process that you actually get to making constructive change, to either to change yourself, to change the world. So um, yeah, thank you for calling out uh, process because we're, we're obsessed with it. And, and, and we realize that like, you know, one of the, the kind of fun phrases that we have in our community is um, opinions are overrated. Oh boy. <laughs> That's music to our ears. No kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I can also speak to uh, scope. So our first cohort last year was about 200 kids, um, 37 states. Uh, this year we had applications from every state, including DC and Puerto Rico. Uh, we had 47 countries um, that applied as well. Um, so we have a pretty, it, that's a big experiment and we're going to see like, uh, and, so, and there's 500 kids roughly in this new cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to see how people kind of interact and I guess just how much uptake there is uh, with Gen Z in, in engaging in dialogue like this. Um, we're, we're really optimistic about it. Like yesterday we had a kid from Oklahoma, California, New York, Connecticut, Egypt, right? They were, they were all on a call, right? You know, talking about like really deep issues. Um, so ultimately, one of the things that we want to do is, um, well, I want to say that it's a lot of it has been inspired by uh, the work of you too, um, especially Steve with, uh, you know, I still remember our, our conversations like two or three years ago now where we were talking about how politics is kind of downstream from culture and okay, what's downstream, what is upstream from culture, uh, education and inspiration really, and, and and media, right? So, um, one thing that we are kind of really gunning for in the next year and a half is to have, um, a documentary, uh, about what's happening in our community. Also eventually a, a TV show, once we have like a physical campus um, and that's a whole kind of other conversation. We're trying to create like a real life Jedi, Jedi Academy of integral thinkers and um, democracy entrepreneurs. Um, so yeah, like we ultimately want to be able to inspire like tens of millions of Gen Zers over this coming decade um, to, I guess, put it, put it simply, care about cultural intelligence um, and realize that it's the key to, it, it's, it is a key to a better world. Yeah. So just to follow up on that, um, let me ask you, Zoe, when you were going through the program and Gary and others first exposed you to these developmental ideas, right, that, that actually include not just your personal development, but the development of human history and culture, what was it that you know, you found interesting and, and was there anything about it that gave you pause at the beginning? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your, your uptake process for, for this perspective. Well, at first when we were kind of getting our first set of exercises, I was like, how is this civics related? I'm like, why do I have to distill my values? I'm like, why am I talking about what makes me curious? I was like, I'm like, I thought this was going to like teach me how to like organize some like huge, like voting rally. Like that's what I thought when I was going into what civics really meant. And then as we kind of kept going through the fellowship and kept learning kind of about how different democracies operated and, you know, different, I mean, both past and present, um, kind of realizing like, oh, like this, 
like understanding like where you come from is actually really, really important um, when you start stepping into this work. Um, because, you know, democracy by nature is made of people. So you have to actually understand other people and then coming to the realization that you have to really understand who you are um, so that you can have productive conversations, recognize where people, um, you know, their lived experiences and where yours kind of intersect, but also where your knowledge ends and where you need to ask questions about other people's experiences because you don't know everything. Um, so these incredible kind of small group conversations we had once a week were super transformational because we would talk about like what our values are and like what shaped our values and like, you know, people were invited to think about like, what do you want to be when you grow up and like actually not just kind of like the typical like kid answer, but like actually think about it based on everything you'd already looked at. Um, and, you know, other people in that group were like, oh, yeah, no, I think you'd be great at that. Or no, I don't, I don't think that's for you. You should check out this other thing. And so really, it was great to build that community where we could kind of shape each other's journeys in a lot of different ways. And then I think um, it wasn't until towards the end when the fellowship stopped, I didn't, I realized how valuable this whole experience was. And at the end, we left with something called a, um, called a leadership blueprint. So all of these different exercises we had been doing and we've been like cataloging them um, in this kind of like, you know, word document um, app called Notion. And so we actually left with like kind of a physical though digital product of like, this is who I am. This is what, you know, has led me to this place. This is where I think I'm going to go. Um, and it's something that a lot of our builders have continued to add onto and we've continued to kind of change the format of it. Um, just so that we have kind of a living, breathing document of our lived experience and what we're going to do with that lived experience. So it's, it's been an incredible opportunity. And I think I, um, that blueprint is one of the most cherished things I think I have uh, on my computer at any time. Right on, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. So Gary, did you come up with this curriculum and how is this actually physically done? I assume it's online, at least at this point, And how, how does it work? Um, so I, yeah, I was one of the co-developers of the curriculum. Um, it, it's, it really is, I guess, in true integral fashion, a synthesis of kind of the best of what we've seen across like all sorts of education and leadership related um, sort of disciplines. Um, we consulted with a, a lot of experts in civics, systems thinking, uh, um, kind of, democratic theory studies, community building, um, a lot of like, and just, you know, philosophy, uh, social, emotional intelligence, et cetera. And we kind of synthesized it into like, okay, what is everything? What are, what are the core things that people that are trying to build the future uh, need to know? Um, how, so I'll break it out into kind of two parts of how we, how kids kind of absorb this stuff. It's, it's one part theory, it's another part um, actual like practice and like kind of experiential like learning. Uh, and a big part of the experiential part is being part of a digital first community. Um, practically speaking, a lot of what happens is on Zoom and on Slack. Um, and Notion is where we keep track of all sorts of documents um, that are relevant to uh, what, we, what we do in our community. Um, the theory part is delivered through uh, Zoom in a participatory fashion. So. Um, you know, more or less lectures, uh, but it, there's 
like imagine like hundreds of kids at the same time kind of responding to questions in real time and seeing other people's responses, right? So on the point of like being able to see other people's world worldviews and like where they're coming from, you'll see like like a whole like array of, of answers to a question like what um, what does a democracy need, right? And then you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. And you're seeing like 10 other answers or 20 other answers that were different than yours. And then together it's like, everyone's new updated mental model is like a synthesis. It's, uh, it's like, it's the collective intelligence, right. Of the, this community, right. Again, that now spans, uh, I think six continents. So, um, yeah. And, and, a, and a big part of, of how people are continually applying like these sort of integral, um, growing as integral thinkers, um, is through, you know, we have multiple dialogue series that are accessible to, um, uh, you know, the, the young members of our community, but also, um, honestly, we, we'd love to invite you to, to, to join uh, s- some of our conversations are super casual um, on, on all sorts of topics. Um, but, you know, we think that being able to talk through what you, uh, what, what's on your mind and, 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 get a picture into other people's minds and also see other people's minds change in real time uh, is just, it's a hugely important kind of character developing experience. Fascinating. Go go on, Jeff, if you have a question. I was just going to ask Zoe, any observations on the process itself and you find yourself leading these groups and how that actually works, what you're actually doing. Uh, just curious to get a, more of a mental picture. Um, in During the fellowship, we met like once a week in these small groups that we called Juntos, um, which is taken directly from, um, you know, a practice that Benjamin Franklin had um, where he would kind of gather people who weren't quite like him, you know, and like have these like areas where you kind of get to these like kind of crazy processes of thought in a group of people that were incredibly diverse, which was exactly what our Juntos were because they're very deliberately designed to be with people that you don't know that are around the country from you. Um, And so, you know, of course the fellowship ended and a couple of us were kind of like, we wish that we could kind of continue that, that process. And so we started a Junto. Um, Originally it was kind of just like an accountability group. So we would like set goals for what we're going to do the next week and check in and make sure that we're making progress. But it has definitely kind of morphed into this, um, you know, more meaningful group where we talk about just whatever is on our minds and we have a very deliberate process for like, you know, how we kind of go from topic to topic and we always have a different person facilitating. And I think um, it's just a really fun community. So like we've done PowerPoint nights. I don't know if you all have heard of those people make PowerPoints about silly topics and present them. So that was something that we did at a Junto. I think we're having a cook-off um, next week, but we also, you know, talk about, you know, kind of these things that Gary's been talking about with like the unplugged school process of like, you know, how, like, how do we respond to current events when, you know, we don't have all of the facts ready at our fingertips quite yet? Or like, how are people coping like with kind of, you know, these like crazy changes and kind of flip-flopping in our different like, you know, democratic systems, especially, you know, during the election when a lot of people were experiencing a lot of stress, staying up super late, you know, kind of watching the electoral map of like, how do we, you know, participate in this process in a way that's also healthy and restorative. Um, I mean, we've talked about our favorite food network stars. It's a wide variety of things, but that building that community, I think is just so incredibly important. Um, 
and having that dialogue kind of span so many different topics is also incredibly important. It's something that I think has been, you know, we've been able to use it in our dialogue series now called The Trek, where we, I guess, focus on more like specific things with a lot of the dialogue practices that we developed in these kind of more fun social juntos, I think has really helped to carry over and lead to much more meaningful conversation as a community. So are these juntos the same people uh, that, uh, so they form a small group over time and how many people in one of these groups? There are roughly eight. I think right now we have two or three juntos running. I'm, I'm in one called cool cats. Um, and we just take that name. Um, but yeah, we all have about like eight, eight-ish people. But you know, like people's availability changes. So you're anywhere from like four to eight every yeah. week. But it's kind of the perfect number to have, you know, really good conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, what what this conversation has uh, helped me realize or, or reminded me of was that um, if you're, it's, it's helpful, uh, it's optimal to be able to talk about more triggering issues uh, after you've established a great degree of trust with other people, often through by talking about like stuff that's less polarizing, right? So you can almost see it like, like a training ground, right? For, for being able to kind of interact more generally with kind of people outside of the community, because you've had this training with people that you trust. And even if a conversation on a serious topic is a little bit uncomfortable, uh, you know that everyone is operating in good faith and uh, wants you to grow as a thinker and leader. Yeah, great. Well, so speaking of triggering issues, one thing I'd love to ask uh, both of you about is one of the, the challenges that we continuously navigate in our work is the implications of better, right? So, so we're about making the world a better place, you all about, about making the world a better place which inevitably means when we look at the world, we have to make some conclusions about what's better and, and what's, what's worse. And, and so while that seems natural and everyday to everyone, um, it, it, it in a way uncovers the central contradiction within progressivism itself. And that is the, the uh, assertion of many of the, um, many of the positive goals that progressivism champions to make our world a better place, which we all agree, you know, that in, in general, are important ways we need to improve. But of course, that leads to a vertical dimension of normative growth. In other words, you know, that there's actually, the, the, the evolution is progressing in value, even if by fits and starts and, you know, or by a dialectical sequence where we have to keep making things better, we can't stop. But my question is, the, the, the encounter, the challenge we get is that, that people point and say, well, you're saying you're better than us, or you have a, a, a more inclusive viewpoint, or, or how can you claim that to have a, a more valuable perspective, right? So this, this vertical dimension, um, do you get objections to it? How do you navigate it? Do you have to flatten it to make it palatable? How do you navigate that? I think a big conversation that we had, um, especially around like Martin Luther King Jr. Day of talking about his beloved communities, the idea that better means something different to everybody. And also that this kind of goal to reach some kind of like beloved community is going to be a letdown, right? Like if that's like a final point where you're like, if we solve like X, Y, and Z, we will have reached like the perfect society. We know that's not true. Because every time you solve some system, if you solve a problem, there are going to be more problems that arise. And so in many ways, you just need people who are driven to make things better 
but also people have to want that to be better for everybody, which I think is kind of the problem that we've been seeing in a lot of varieties of politics where one side claims to be the moral like authority, but then they don't want anything better for the other side. And they're so quick to dismiss people who they don't think fit in kind of their mold of like, well, our society would be great if we just didn't have those types of people. But that's simply not how you can make the world a better place. Um, so that's kind of a big conversation we've been having is that being better just means that other people have to buy into this idea that other people deserve to have better as well. And that we all, I mean, that may mean that you have to give in a little more. Um, you may not get as much out of it. But overall, you know, as you improve the quality of life for more people, your quality of life will improve as well. And the world itself will become a better place as well. Um, I think that, um, and I'm sure Gary can speak more to this, that there is a lot of resistance because I think people, we we're kind of indoctrinated with this like learned helplessness of like the world is the way it is for a reason. So you're just supposed to kind of accept it the way it is and operate in the way that works. And I think that's where we get most of the resistance is people are like, well, that, that just seems way too far-fetched. Or like, how on earth do you have a group of kids who, do, who, think, they're, who think they're capable of that? Like, they haven't even gone to college yet. Like, how, how do you think they're going to be able, you know, to affect this kind of change? And, you know, that's another thing that we talk about a lot is that pessimism is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't think kids are capable, if you don't think the world can be a better place, then kids will never be capable and the world will never be a better place. You have to earnestly believe in that. And I think imparting that belief and that optimism on other people, I think where we get the most pushback is how do we get other people to buy into this idea that we can all want better for everybody. Um, it's going to be a challenge, but we all have to work together to get to that point. But I'm sure Gary can add a lot more um, on that point. Well, um, I mean, super well put, Zoe. Uh, I'll just add that um, if there's any sense of us suggesting that there is a better like state of consciousness or or whatever, um, it's it's um, it's directly related to how kind of expansive your sense of self is, right? So initially, you can only really take care of yourself. Right, but we like to say like, okay, you should be selfish, right? But when you have the means to expand your sense of self, right, to eventually all people and eventually all living things, um, great. Like we have no problem in, in saying that's probably better than you being really self-interested in zero sum. Um, so that kind of result, like that, that makes it such that it's not just this arrogant anti- uh, you know, human and, you know, anti other people thing, because everyone else is, is equivalent to like everyone else's well-being is, is, is treated as your own well-being. I don't know. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. It's indeed. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I got to say, you guys are very inspiring to me. And um, I have this fantasy that the young people are going to get it and it's going to be good. And you're sort of uh, uh, really validating that for me. And uh, um, so I, I, I guess I'd ask you, uh, and maybe Zoe, you go first. What's inspiring you? I mean, what makes a Zoe Jenkins? What's, what's part of this blueprint of how you got to be who you are at this? You're 17. Uh, and so 
what are you reading? What's, what's supporting you? What, what movies? I don't know what, what's, what's going on with Zoe? I guess I probably have to credit a lot of it to my grandparents, um, especially on my mom's side that they, um, they, they just grew up, I think, in one of the most incredible times to grow up. So they were, you know, kind of going into college, um, you know, in the midst of the civil rights movement. And like my grandparents on my mom's side, like went to school with the Greensboro Four who started like the lunch counter sit-ins. And like that was very much, you know, a part of their life. And, and the process of how they were able, I guess, to get to college as the children of sharecroppers and then, you know, start a business and were able to send their all, all their children to college in a time when a lot of black children weren't going to school um i think really shaped the amount of privilege that i was able to come into with because my mom is now you know in academia and she works at uva so that, you know being in education is a huge thing for her and she's like like your education matters she was like you're gonna watch khan academy after school i don't care like what else you want to do and so i think really instilling that love of books and just love of learning and that's something that my dad has also kind of passed on to us. He's obsessed with every kind of podcast imaginable. So, you know, whenever we were in the car, we were listening to a podcast and he would pause and ask us questions and things like that. So I think I had kind of got like got on the thinking train, I guess, earlier than maybe other kids my age, just because of how I think intentional my parents were about making sure that we were digesting a lot of media, but also um, from a young age, understanding bias as well, where we would hear things and, you know, my brother and I would be like, wow, I can't believe that somebody would believe that. And my dad would, you know, sit down and explain to us, well, like, you know, like people from different areas believe different things and kind of, I guess, like debunking all of that from a young age, I think built a lot of empathy in both my brother and I for how other people see the world, which when we moved to Kentucky, I think became even more important. Um, I don't know if any of you have been to Kentucky, but it's such an interesting state when it comes to ideologies and backgrounds that you have super urban affluent areas like Lexington and Louisville. But then if you, I mean, if you go 45 miles out, it's like you're in the middle of nowhere. And it's just this totally different, you know, culture where, I mean, we, as a part of some of my education advocacy work, like we talk to kids in different areas where in some of these rural parts of Kentucky, it's taboo to go to college. Like if you leave your, like your family to go to school, they won't let you come back because that's seen as being a traitor, which is something that, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, what? I was like, why on earth would an area like, you know, with so much poverty not want kids to go to college? But it's, it's just a totally different culture and a way of looking at the world. And until you can, you know, really sit in that perspective, you can't help kids understand how to make the most out of their high school experience because that, that is their terminal education degree. And you can do a lot with a high school diploma, but, you know, a lot of these kids feel like there's not a lot of options for them, but you can't, you know, come in from, you know, an urban area and tell them, well, I don't know why you're not going to college. That's so ridiculous. Why would you never, you know, do X, Y, and Z? So I think um, have been indirectly exposed to a lot of different um, ideologies and viewpoints and have been forced to kind of rethink, you know, like what have I been exposed to? Like as the child of parents who are both in academia, I have a very different view of what education should look like than kids who don't, than kids whose parents never have gone to college. Um, and yeah, it's not until you can really sit in that, that you can, you know, have these productive conversations to start moving forward and help, you know, shaping the Kentucky education system and education at large. Yeah, indeed. Hallelujah. Yeah. Gary? So, 
Oh, so, I'm so sorry. Oh, go on. No, no, Gary, if you have something to add to that. I was going to ask Gary, what's inspiring him? What are you reading, listening to, you know, movies? I don't know. Practices. Yeah. Um, our kids in our, in our program, like Zoe, um, gives me so much energy every day. Um, and being able to, like, for example, um, one of the members of our community, she lives in Oklahoma, right? And um, she's able to speak to the experiences of what it's like to have uh, literally a pastor saying, you better get out and vote for, you know, a particular presidential candidate. Um, and that is kind of blew my mind, right? But, but now, now I know, right? Now I know, uh, have, now, I've, now I have a better sense, now other people have a better sense uh, of what happens in different parts of, of the country. And uh, being able to, to just see on a day, daily basis uh, young people's kind of horizons expanding um, and also just like a, and have a much greater empathy for um, the how people are are a product of so many influences what inspires me a lot as well is recognizing that most people did not have parents like Zoe's um, most people do not know Jeff or Steve uh, and and we have a huge responsibility to expose kids to not just different worldviews, but processes on how to um, understand different worldviews and, um, you know, and actually create constructive uh, change in the world. So that leads to the question I wanted to ask about Civics Unplugged as an organization. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, in your big hairy goals, right? Your vision. If you had all the funding you needed, you know, in 10 years from now, so what would you like to see the organization become or the programs that it can implement? Yeah, I'll take an initial stab at this. Um, one thing that we've been having more confidence in communicating is that we're trying to build the real world Jedi Academy for the people that, the, the, the Jedis that are going to be the leaders, not just in as elected officials, but in all spaces that are needed, right? To ensure that flourishing is the norm. Um, in the U.S. and around the world. Um, so we'd love to get uh, to partner with people like literally Elon Musk. Um, and that's, our, that's, that's one of our goals uh, to work with him on, you know, all sorts of projects related to terraforming Earth, right? So we can talk about terraforming Mars, and we should, um, but we still need to terraform Earth. Uh, and and we're, we're, we're utterly failing our young people in getting them to a place where they are capable of um, being the leaders that we need to to like harness all the all the gifts of all these different people that the leaders need to have deep cultural intelligence to motivate and, and, and unify. Um, so yeah, we, we we want to create the Jedi Academy. And and so the Jedi's who graduate from your academy, what will be their superpowers? I can take a bite at that, Gary. Um, I, th I, mean, I think everyone's superpowers are a little bit different. I think sure. that if you had to, I guess, generalize it, I guess, just knowing like how you can leverage your experiences and unique talents and gifts to affect change in the systems and communities that you, that you care about. Um, cause I think there are a lot of people that want to make a difference in the world. A lot of people like, I, I want to help somebody, but a lot of people don't know how to do that. And especially don't know how to do that in a way that's best both for them and the people that they're supposed to be helping. Um, so kind of like what Gary keeps alluding to this like U-shaped hole of figuring out 
you know, where you can make the most in, impactful, um, you know, and positive impact on other people um, in a way that you care about in a way that's also very fulfilling to you as well. Great. Right on. Wow. Well, here's what I see is that you are operationalizing integral consciousness uh, among the people who are probably, I mean, if our theory is correct, the most um, open to it and the most uh, able to actually receive it and do something with it and who have a lifetime ahead of them <laughs> to uh, live in this way that is more loving, you know, less critical, more curious. Uh, I just can't be more inspired by what it is you're actually doing on the ground here, both of you. So I guess I just close with that and say thank you. Yeah, I can add that I'm, I'm really grateful for the work you're doing. It's, uh, it warms my heart to see this, the applying of this thinking and additional thinking too in, in this important effort and um, want to support it in any way I can and, and glad we can uh, feature your work, both of you, on, uh, on our podcast here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor for both of us to, to be here. Um, it's great to catch up as well. And we'd love to invite you to, to come hang out in our community so you get to see for yourself uh, what we're up to. Yeah, I wanted to add, you know, thank you for helping to blaze that trail, you know, with integral thought as well. That's likely that Gary would have never happened upon it if it weren't for the two of you. And I'm not sure where we thank would you. be without it. Oh, for um, sakes. Yeah, I mean, I was watching, I, I have been watching like interviews that you've uploaded on YouTube, Jeff, with Steve since like 2017. Um, so... Yeah, thank you. Um, it's, 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 it's an interesting time. I mean, I don't, oh, well, I, I did meet Steve. I was lucky to have met Steve about a year and a half ago in person. I've never met Zoe in person. And, <laughs> and I've never met you, Jeff. And, and it's amazing how much uh, can, be, can be done if you're really deliberate about uh, knowing what kind of vision you're striving towards on an individual and a collective level. And, and the work that you two are doing are, is just critical, so thank you. Oh, good. Okay, well, we're in this together. Yes, indeed, onward and upward. Okay, folks, well, thank you for listening to another episode of Post-Progressive Inquiries. Uh, Gary, uh, let me ask you real quickly, if people wanna know more about you and the organization, where might they go? Yep, they can just go to www.civicsunplug.org. Um, there's um, and if you want to go really deep, there, we have a bunch of white papers on our website as well. Uh, and you can feel free to reach out to us at info at civicsunplugged.org. All right. Well, thank you, Gary Sheng. And thank you so much, Zoe Jenkins. And more to come. See you next time. All right. Thank you. Bye, folks. Thank you. Bye.